Welcome to the Giving Experience Podcast. The Giving Experience is a journey into our hearts and souls to grow more connected with our Maker and one another through the practice of generosity in all things. You will hear stories of people that have been impacted on both sides of the giving experience. Join us in childlike wonder as we explore and become more present and aware of these miracles that saturate the world around us every day. We are your hosts, Chad Howard and Brent Tayette. And today we are super excited to introduce John Reinhardt, who's here with us today. He's an author, a speaker, and a movement leader with Gospel Patrons. And John, just excited to have you here today. I'd love to have you share with us a little bit about how you got to where you are today with Gospel Patrons. Yeah, thanks, guys. What an honor to be with you. I started my career in business and worked for a couple of years in sales in California. And God really blessed that time. I learned so much. I had good people around me. And financially, uh, my wife and I had student loans coming out of college. And when we looked at the paperwork, it was supposed to take 15 years to pay those off. And God really blessed us. And we paid them off in 18 months. And so after paying off our debt, it really changed the conversation for me about what's the purpose of money? Why am I in business? How do business people fit into the broader vision of what God is up to in the world? And honestly, my journey kicked off with those questions that I couldn't find answers to. And it took me a, a, took me through a series of events. I left business. I went to seminary. I studied the Bible for four years. We never really talked about business. Surprisingly, we never really talked about money or generosity either. Hmm. So uh, I was wrapping up seminary and I said to my wife, Renee, hey, you've helped me. And we've been chasing my dreams for the last four years going to seminary. What's your dream? And she shared with me something that we'd never discussed previously in our marriage. We've been married six years at that point. But she's out of her heart spilled this answer. I, ever since I was 13, she said, I always dreamed of traveling all the way around the world in a single shot so that I could become a global Christian and learn to walk by faith. And I was like, what kind of answer is that? That is so incredible. How have we never talked about that before? But we were 29 at the time. And I said, well, it's probably now or when we're 65. Like a lot of life gets in the way of those mm -hmm. kind of big dreams. So let's do it. Put all our belongings in storage, traveled the world for four and a half months, seeking to become global Christians, which meant we worshiped with local believers and their contexts and languages wherever we could. And we were trying to meet business people who were believers, pastors, missionaries, politicians, all along the way. And we were also seeking to walk by faith, which meant for 132 days, we never booked a hotel room in advance. We were trusting God to lead us. It didn't mean that we never paid for a hotel room, but we're going to walk day by day and trust God to lead us and, and guide us. And he did. That's incredible. Yes. 22 countries, five continents. And toward the very end of that trip, we met a business leader from Sydney, Australia, who was a believer, and he shared the vision of something called Gospel Patrons with us. And he was a friend of a friend, very providential that we even were in the same city at the same time. But through a 45-minute coffee meeting, he shared that business leaders have always been behind the great movements of God in history. Kind of the idea that God blesses us with more money, not to increase our standard of living, but to increase our standard of giving. That's not his quote. That's a Randy Alcorn quote, which is just incredible. But that was the idea that God blesses us to build his kingdom, not just to build ours. And he, he shared snippets of stories throughout history of how God has used business leaders to do really incredible things that most of us never think about because business leaders often feel like, well, I'm not a pastor or a missionary, so I'm probably a second-class Christian. But those stories and that coffee meeting convinced me that God has an awesome part to play for each one of us. It just looks a little bit different. 
That is so cool. And John, one of the things I'm excited about is just hearing your story. We have a mutual friend, Kyle Rohrbaugh, that connected you with Brent and I, and we're super grateful for that. And as soon as we learned about you, both Brent and I read your book, The Gospel Patron's Book. Subtitle on that, by the way, People Whose Generosity Changed the World. We highly recommend to our listeners here. Go check it out. Thank you. And it was so fun with Brent. So I've had the pleasure of knowing Brent for, I don't know, 15, 20 years now. And for as long as I've known him, one of the things that has been constant, whether we're getting together, you know, with a small group of guys and just talking about our lives and whatnot, it, you can tell it's weighed on his heart that like, how do I show up in my business to build God's kingdom and do God's work? And it, there's always been, I, I can just tell this like constant strain and like, oh, I know there's a better way and something more I can be doing here. What you've really struck on through your book and this whole conversation, I've never seen Brent so like giddy and excited about this conversation. And it's just been fun for me to be able to witness as a dear friend of Brent's, just <laughs> his excitement of like, yes, I can see it now. There's such alignment here. Oh, that's awesome. I'm always smiling, but I'm grinning <laughs> ear to ear right now because <laughs> so my whole life growing up, I was blessed to grow up in a Christian household where my mom and my dad both loved Jesus. My dad was a businessman. And my dad's whole side of the family was either in professional ministry or they were teachers, so a couple in healthcare. So helping professions, right? But particularly professional ministry. But there was this idea when you talked about second-class Christians that hit me on one of your messages. Like, mm. yes, I felt that growing up. And I know my dad felt it. We would talk about that. In fact, to get a short side story, we're at a wedding of a relative back in the Midwest. And my dad and I attended this, just the two of us. And this lovely older elderly woman come up, came up to my dad, who was very involved in the, the denomination church that was a part of this family. And she looked at my dad and she says, well, what, what do you do? And my dad said, well, I'm in business and I develop properties. And by the time he could get out like that third word, she was turned on her heels and she was off like, I'm done with this conversation. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. So, so sad. It, it is. And so I yeah. love that you go here and you're yeah. drawing out the intersection of our faith, the work that God is doing and business. Yeah. And can you tell us a little bit more about some of the stories that you talk about in the book about the idea of gospel patronage? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think for me, when I was wrestling with those questions early on in my business career, I, I knew that it wasn't necessarily bad to be in business, but being a Christian in business felt like a checklist of principles to fulfill. So I should not lie. I should work hard. I should not sleep at the secretary. I should not get drunk. I should be a good example in my workplace. I should pray for others and share my faith as God gives me opportunities and by 25, I had done all of those things and was going, what, what, okay, but what's the bigger vision? <laughs> Is it just to keep a list of principles and maybe give 10% to the church or ministry or something like that? And it's like, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. But I, the principles and vision are very two very different things. And it was at that meeting in Sydney, Australia, where this business leader said that 500 years ago, an English Bible did not exist in the world. The Bible had been originally written in Hebrew for the Old Testament and Greek for the New. And when it was translated into other languages in the fourth century, it was translated into Latin. And in Europe, it remained in Latin for a thousand years. That means that as languages developed across Europe, everything spiritual, everything known 
you could know about God was in a foreign language. It would be like if you and I said, hey, I want to go to church and learn about God. And they say, great, it's in Russian. It's like, oh, no, only a few of us would be able to figure that out. And that was the case as language developed across Europe. Well, God raised up a young man who was a gifted linguist from Oxford. William Tyndale was his name. Many would remember that name from history. But the name that many wouldn't remember or know is Humphrey Monmouth. And Humphrey Monmouth was a cloth merchant, a business guy who was really skillful in what he did, had a significant uh, influence in business, who stood with William Tyndale and said, I will fund you to translate the New Testament for the first time in history from the Greek manuscripts into English. Meanwhile, this is a contraband book. Uh, Bible translation was illegal. And so there's a massive risk both of these men were taking. And in the end, the business leader plus the, the Bible translator working together gave the world an English New Testament and ultimately an English Bible for the first time in human history that day in Sydney, Australia as a 29-year-old. And I just began asking the question, what would have happened had the business leader not played his part? Would William Tyndale ever have been able to complete it? What, what would he have done for support? This is a massive project. And then the question changed to, what if there were more business leaders like that who said, hey, instead of building a second, third, fourth house, instead of getting the boat, the plane, whatever all the toys are, and just sort of padding my lifestyle, what if I could use some of the wealth that God has given me to birth beautiful things in the world that God might want to do? I mean, in the end, they gave their generation an English New Testament and later an English Bible for 6 million English speakers. And today there's more than 600 million people who speak or read English as their primary language who have benefited from access to God's word in their heart language. What a gift that they deployed into the world. And they didn't have any idea how massive it would be for years and years to come. They didn't know English was going to be the most dominant language in the world for the next 500 years. And yet the business leader was behind it, quietly, generously fueling what God was up to in his generation. And I just thought, man, that's a vision worth living for. That's something you could get excited about. That's going to last way longer than the newest car, the latest boat, or the greatest technology. This is something that like, I would love my life to be a part of stories like that. And I'd love to help other people's lives be a part of big stories of what God's doing in our generation as well. Absolutely. I'm grateful to have you on today to be able to share with our audience. You've made a, a very strong statement that the single greatest rival to faith in Jesus Christ is, I'm not going to blow what the punchline is here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you've gone and spoken with church leaders and pastors all, all around the world, basically telling them like, look, guys and gals, you guys are being too weak in your conversation with sharing this with your congregation about the single greatest rival to faith in Jesus Christ. And we need to address this and, yes. and really have awareness around it and inspect it. I would love for you to share with our audience yeah. that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. It started with, I was having coffee with a new friend who worked at a large church in Orange County, California. And he said that the greatest obstacle to people in our culture having faith is money. And I said, wait a minute, <laughs> how do you say that so strongly? The greatest obstacle or the single greatest rival to faith in Jesus is money and material possessions and the love of money and all that gets wrapped up in it. And he said, well, it's pretty simple. Jesus said that when you look at the parable of the soils, a very famous parable, sower goes out to sow seed. He scatters seed liberally across four different kinds of soils. Only one of the four kinds produces fruit that's 30, 60, and 100 fold. 
The others, it gets choked out, it gets stolen away. And one of the ones where the, the third kind of soil, where the seed lands on the soil and tries to spring and break up through the ground, but ultimately gets choked out by thorns, Jesus tells us exactly what those thorns are. He said it's the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word so that it proves unfruitful. Mm. So my friend simply said, two and a half of those are financial. Mm -hmm. I said, what? He goes, well, cares of the world. What do people care about? Money. Okay, check. Deceitfulness of riches. Check. Desires for other things. Okay, we'll give that one a half. Two and a half of the the three things that are going to choke out the word of God for producing the 30, 60, and 100-fold fruit in our lives and through our lives that that God has intended are financial or or are related to money. And you see it over and over throughout the New Testament. Jesus talked about money, wealth, possessions, and stewardship about 25% of the time more than any other single topic. And yet it's the one thing in church and in Christian community, mostly for sure in America and most all over the world that we don't talk about. We avoid it. I've heard pastors say they go years without teaching on money and wear that like a badge of, oh, that's a good thing. I get it. Money can be talked about so poorly. There's all kinds of false prosperity gospel teaching out in the world that is not actually biblical, that doesn't look like what we see in the life of Jesus. But to throw the baby out with the bathwater and just not talk about money, stewardship, and possessions at all is an absolute miss. Because talking about this is not just something for the rich. It's not just something for the few. This is a part of our discipleship to Jesus. If Jesus doesn't have our hearts over money, if he hasn't won our affections more than we're you know, in love with our retirement or our possessions or our home or our bonus or whatever kind of golden thing is shiny out there in our lives, we're probably not wholeheartedly following him. Like he's more worthy of our affection, of our trust, of our love than any material possession or number in any bank account there ever will be. He is greater. He's more worthy. He's more awesome. In the end, we won't be gathered around our possessions saying worthy, holy. We will be gathered around the throne of Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And yet these created things or these material things often swoop in and earn our affections at a place they really don't deserve. And so I love that we get a chance with money to not just talk about money for its own sake, but to talk about how it's connected to our faith and how our hearts can get tangled up around it pretty quickly. But Jesus wants to set our hearts free so that we can love him with all that he's given us, not just part of it. I love that. That's just incredible. And what a balm to what our heart needs, right? In terms of we need more Jesus and to know, gosh, so much of what keeps us from seeing the work of Jesus around us is our own agenda, right? I'm chasing money to go buy the thing, or I'm chasing money to give me my time, right? Yeah, we think of those things as either status symbols or success indicators. If we get those, then we are somebody. And, And Jesus says, you already are somebody in my eyes. That's why I died for you. I gave you my body. I gave you my very blood because you're that valuable to me. And I want you to see your primary identity, not as a rich person or a poor person, not as a successful person or a failure, not as a fat person or a skinny person. 
Who you are is a blood-bought son or daughter of the king. And you have a future. You've been chosen. You've been set apart. You've got a, I've got a plan for your life. I want to do great things in and through you that will affect not only your life, but those around you, and maybe even unto generations. And yet the enemy that we're up against wants to settle for created things, shiny things that will distract or divide our attention. There's a crazy story in the Gospel of Luke. If you ever want to know what God says about wealth, look at the Gospel of Luke. It's one of the four biographies of Jesus, and it's the one that's most focused on stewardship, wealth, and possessions. And there's a story in there where a man goes out to host a party, and he's inviting people to come to the party. And there's three kinds of people who say no. One is Hey, uh, the one says, sorry, I, I can't make it. I just bought uh, five yoke of oxen and I need to go check on them. Another one says, I just bought a field and I need to go look after it. And another one says, I'm getting married. And so I, I, I can't come right now to this party that this man's hosting. The party's obviously representing the kingdom of God, that God mm -hmm. is inviting us into his kingdom. And two out of the three people say, I can't make it into the kingdom because I'm really distracted by something I bought. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> this is Jesus now speaking. This isn't some other teacher making this up. This is him saying, guys, I don't want your hearts to be so enamored with the things of this world that you miss the kingdom you were made for. And so often that's the case. And I recognize that even in my own heart. And when I was 25 going, is it just more money? Is that the goal? Is it just more climb higher on the success ladder? Is, is that the trajectory for my life? Or have I really been made for more? Not just me, but have we all been made for more? And so I, I think this conversation is so fun and so freeing when we go, what if those success indicators are actually not as powerful or as dominant in my life as maybe I've believed before? And maybe there's a new standard of what true greatness looks like where I could give my life away to serve God and serve others. That's what Jesus says greatness really is. Can we give our time, our talents, our treasure away, not just to build up our own name, but to glorify him and help other people know the greatest treasure in the world. I love it. Wow, I feel like you guys got me preaching today. I'm sorry. No, it's it. good. <laughs> what you did such a great job of is teeing up this huge thematic arc of how God has used patrons historically. For the first time, I was inspired by hearing more about the three women who funded Jesus' ministry. And I love yes. how you call it like, how did we think that he funded his ministry? And I thought to myself, I never thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your book sets up the historic weight of where God has used all his people, not just those that are in pulpits, right? Yeah. You, it's so interesting when you read the New Testament, Peter and Paul and Jesus preaching sermons and reaching people and calling people to repentance and the kingdom is advancing. And you assume, oh, maybe that's what mature Christianity looks like, is mm -hmm. to be one of those kind of people. But what's unique about it is that Jesus, Peter, and Paul all had people funding and supporting them in different ways behind the scenes. And they never said for those people, you need to leave what you're doing and become like me. They didn't say that. They, rec they recognized that those other people had a different role in the body, but were on the same team with the same mission. Mm-hmm. The work that you set up, or the history and the context that you set up, it left me, and I, I would imagine a lot of people are coming away from reading your book saying, what does this mean for me? What's the takeaway? What does growth in this area look like? And I love that you answered that when I was I got to the end of the book. I'm like, oh, there's this cool experiential process that you and your team are putting together 
called Giving Together. Yes, yes. Giving Together is is the second book that I wrote. It's a short book, and it's very easy to read. But the goal is to give you some practical next steps to grow in the kind of generosity that will change you and change the world around you. I think a lot of times generosity gets pitched as 10% is the goal. And once you get there, you're done. Just set it and forget it. Put it on cruise control for the rest of your life. But generosity is not just an amount of money we give. It's a heartbeat that we have. It's stopping to hold the door open so someone can go before you on the way in or they're busy and you help them out. It's a smile that you can give as you're passing a stranger because Jesus said, hey, don't just greet people that you know. The Gentiles even do that. Greet people you don't know. It's a form of kindness. It's a form of generosity. And so generosity is not just about money. It's a, it starts with our hearts. And how do we grow that? We don't really talk about that a whole lot. So Giving Together is a short book to help small groups and people go through a journey together that would help them grow in generosity that changes them and changes the world. That is super cool. One of the other things that struck me that I'd love for you to speak more on is, I don't know uh, what the specific scripture is, but it's so well known within our society, this idea of don't let the right hand know what your left hand is doing. And you put out a, I think it was a blog post on it and spoke deeply on that about, hey, here's another thing that's being completely missed within our society today and provided a little more context into that. Can you speak to what our society believes that verse to to represent and what you want there to be more awareness around, like more context to? Yeah, that's a great, great question. It's a hangup that a lot of people have, and I think rightly so. There's an interesting verse in Jesus's most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, he's talking about prayer. He's talking about financial giving, specifically to the poor. And he's talking about fasting. And in that, he's trying to guard people from doing spiritual things in order to gain the attention and the praise of men. So don't pray to get attention. Don't give to get people to focus on yourself. Don't fast to show off. And so Jesus is in the midst of this piece of his his sermon in in Matthew chapter 6, and he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when it comes to your financial giving. Give in such a way that you're not seeking the praise of men. You're not even seeking your own sort of, oh, uh, look at what I've done. And yet I think it's been misinterpreted by a lot of people to mean we can never talk about our financial giving. We can never share stories of victories. We can never share examples of things we've failed at and struggled with or questions that we have. And so money has become a secretive topic that even our closest friends don't know how much we make, how much we give, or if we give at all. Mm-hmm. We don't even have those conversations. And sometimes this verse gets, that's the sticker that gets silenced over the top. Yeah, because you don't want to let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You don't want to lose your eternal reward by talking about it with men on earth. But I think that's actually a misunderstanding of the passage, and I think it's been something that's kept us from true discipleship, because you can't grow in anything that you're not talking about. If you want to grow, you're going to talk with people about it. If you want to get in shape, you're going to talk with a trainer, you're going to talk with a nutritionist, you're going to talk with an accountability partner, you're going to talk with your spouse, you're going to set some goals. It's going to become a conversation in your life in which you grow. But if you want to grow in your financial generosity that advances God's kingdom. It's got to be something we talk about. Jesus was focused primarily on our heart's motivation, doing it in order to gain praise. What he also says when he's talking about prayer is he never says don't pray in public. He just says we're not supposed to pray in ways that are seeking to get people's attention. We don't take that to mean with prayer 
that we should never pray with others. We should never pray in a group. We should never pray publicly on a stage at church. We should never pray at weddings. We should never, of course, people pray publicly all the time. And we don't have a problem with that. What we would have a problem with is if someone is praying publicly in a showy kind of way to show off, that would be an issue. So I think with the whole passage, he's not trying to say it's, a, it's an absolute rule that you can never talk about your giving. He is saying, guard your heart. Mm-hmm. Don't do this for the sake of others. And once we lift that layer off of our misunderstanding of like, it's okay to talk about giving and actually that's how we're going to grow, but we still need to guard our hearts, then real discipleship sets in. So it's it's an important passage for us to talk about and think deeply about. I've got a whole article on gospelpatrons.org about it, which will say it way better than I just have here. But I think it's six or seven reasons why we talk about giving and how we've understood that passage. That's awesome. And we've got that linked, the Gospel Patrons website linked in the resource page of the givingexperience.org website. So you were one of our key resources for our listeners to be able to tap into that. So we encourage you all to definitely check that out. Yeah, I, I love how your team is doing such a great job of equipping the saints for this work of growing in our generosity in all mm. things. And that's mm. what we're here to talk about. We wanted to create space where we share these stories of generosity. And I love one in one of the talks you gave, you said, stories of generosity, they're the best stories. Yeah. And they really are because so many people are impacted. Right? Yeah. And I was, would you be willing to share some of the stories that you've uncovered or heard in work, whether it's through the Gospel Patrons book or working through the Giving Together, where you're hearing some of these stories that are coming out? Yeah, I was actually just in Florida this last week, and I was talking with a friend who's there who also works in ministry. And it was his birthday, and he's got adult children, so his adult children were over, and the doorbell rang, and one of his children went to the door to get it, and he said, oh, Dad, it's so-and-so come to the door. And he came to the door, and it was his friend, and he he brought him this nice bottle of wine for his birthday and just wanted to say thank you. And then he handed him some keys. And he goes, oh, what are these? He goes, oh, these are the keys to your new car. He goes, what do you mean? And he goes, oh, we've got a, a one-year-old Tesla in the driveway, and we wanted to give it to you for your birthday. And he said, here he's a very mature believer, adult Christian, been around the faith for generations with his family. And he said he just broke down crying. Wow. He just broke down crying. <laughs> Not that not that necessarily he needed a new Tesla or something like that, but that someone would think of him at that level, be that intentional, go out of their way to bless him on his birthday. It just made all the difference in the world. And I love those kind of stories. Why do we love when God shows up and either meets a need in a very profound way or he just provides a blessing in, in a unique way? Those feel like miracle stories in our mm-hmm. world today. It's like people don't do that kind of stuff most of the time, but when they do... Oftentimes, their faith in God is what's fueled them to do it. I heard another miracle story of this woman in Miami who became a widow at the age of 29 and carried on her husband's business and built the business and God blessed the business. And somewhere along the way, God asked her to buy a building in downtown Miami. And she was buying the building and it was an old rundown building. It was a tough time for real estate. So she was getting it at a good deal. And She bought this building and was trying to get it up to permit and up to code. And she was really struggling with the fire permit. For whatever reason, they were backlogged and weren't getting back to her. And she talked to an inspector one day and and they they said, yeah, you're never going to be able to get that permit. And she goes, well, my God is able. 
I'm going to trust him and I'm going to go down there right now and get the fire permit. <laughs> Obviously she'd been praying about it up to that point. She goes down to the office and she's walking in from the parking lot. And while she's still in the parking lot, she hears a voice yell, watch out. As she hears that, she steps to the side and a car had just kicked it into reverse and was backing up and it backed up right to where she had previously been standing. And so this person literally saved her life. She didn't see that they're about to back up. And so she looks over and there was a man walking. And so she said, she walked closer to him to thank him. He just starts saying, God loves you and he's got plans for your life. And I, I just, he's, he's, he's quoting scripture for her and she goes, wow, what a, what a gift. So he asks where she's going and she tells him, and he goes, I'm going there as well. Let's go in together. So they walk into this building. To, she wants to get her fire permit. They ride the elevator to the floor they're getting off on. As the elevator doors open and they get off, the fire chief steps out of the restroom, which had been right next to the elevator. And this man says to the fire chief, this woman needs help with her permit for her building. I want you to help her. And then he walks off and disappears. Within 15 minutes, the fire chief had finished all the paperwork. Boom, she comes out. She has her permit for her building. Now, she could never track down that guy again, said he disappeared. And she goes, oh, yeah. And when we were walking in the parking lot, I asked him his name and he told me his name was Angel. Oh my goodness. I am tearing up. Oh, that's so good. Wow. Within a few years, she donated this building to a church in Miami that's now using it to reach people for Jesus. Oh my goodness. That is incredible. (laughs) Donated the building and it's worth millions of dollars and she gave it away. God loves to use people like that. And when you're free and willing to give, I think he moves heaven and earth to support you. Amen. And it's so fun to be able to pull that thread, right, of God's evidence of his grace at work. Yes. Oh, thank yes. you for sharing that. I think that's one of the highlights of getting to travel as I do to speak and meet with different people, leaders and groups, is I get a little glimpse into what God's doing in different ways around the country and around the world that I wouldn't have if I just had stayed home. Mm-hmm. And uh, God's working all kinds of ways in this world that never make the news, that don't get a lot of attractive social media presence, but he's doing incredible things. And it's fun to see that. It's fun to celebrate that. There's a lot of bad news in our world, but man, yeah. God's at work. He's in charge. He is. Amen. And it's so helpful to be able to, gosh, and hopefully for listeners on our podcast and readers of your book and any anywhere where they hear the stories, our prayer and our hope is just that we can borrow that faith, right? Yeah. We're feeling at a point of just lowness. I don't, I, maybe I don't feel or I don't see God at work around me. To hear those stories, those real stories of how God is at work, it empowers everyone around them. Yeah, faith is like a muscle and we need to be able to use it in order for it to grow. And faith is a point when we come to Jesus, but it says in Habakkuk in the Bible that the righteous shall live by faith. And you, yeah, the only way you can live by faith is to continue to exercise it day in and day out, week in and week out. But sometimes our faith grows weak and we look at all the wind and the waves around us and we feel like we're sinking. And that's when we can lean into God and his word and also the testimonies of his people to say, okay, even if I don't see it right now, he's still working. Even if I don't feel it right now, he's still working. Yes. I know that he's working in other people's lives and he's the same God to me today. Even if I can't see it, that's okay, but I'm going to trust him anyways. Yeah. That's it. 
we're going to have to do more conversations with you, John, because we need this preaching <laughs> <laughs> more and more. And I, I want to continue to hear more stories. And and I, I'll just tell you, I'm I'm already committed. I want to go through the oh, Giving Together awesome. book with my uh, small group of guys that's from awesome. our church. I have a new book that we're really trying to push out before the end of 2023 that I'd love to share with you about if I can just for yeah, a minute. Absolutely. Because it bridges the gap between, okay, you've been stirred biblically. You've seen that there's this concept of gospel patrons is biblical. We've got historical models for you to look at. We've been over the last eight years interviewing different business leaders from around the country and a few from England who have answered 10 unique questions for us. And those questions include things like, what are the dangers of wealth? Hmm. How do you decide who you're going to give to? What's your own personal sense of mission and calling? What do you wish you knew at 25? Or what's one key part of your routine that keeps you healthy and strong? We've now interviewed 30 different leaders like that who are not pastors, not missionaries, but architects, financial planners, entrepreneurs, magazine editors, people like that, and ask them all these questions. And so we're compiling 30 amazing interviews into a book to launch by Christmas 2023 that's going to, I think, help us take that next step of what does this look like for people in the 21st century? How are other people living this out? And that could be a book you go through with a small group. It could be a book you give away as a Christmas present to someone who's been generous to you. But it's a unique book filled with beautiful illustrations that's going to bridge that gap for how do we take those next steps? Like if I don't know any generous people or there's nobody that I know who I can talk to about this, I want to say, let me introduce you to 30 of my friends (laughs) via this book. And you can essentially have a conversation with them and listen into the conversations I've had with them over the years to try to understand how they think. Because it's not just one strand. It doesn't have to just look one way. Learn from these 30 different people and see what God's been up to in their lives as well. Yeah, so good. And did you say you have a title on that yet? It's either 30 gospel patrons or 31. We'll see if we get a final gospel patron journal in there. We will launch all of that on gospelpatrons.org and gospel patrons social media if you want to be the first to hear about that. And uh, that's coming this year. So if you sign up for our email list, you'll be the first to hear about it. Awesome. And I was just going to ask, but I think you answered it. Is that the best place for people to find out about the work that you're doing, John? Yeah, gospelpatrons.org and our email list. We send out an email every Friday to over 4,000 leaders around the world who are going to get, it might be a three-minute video, a 30-minute sermon, a 10-minute article to read, or just some new piece of content that we've created that we're just trying to say, let's just keep the conversation going week after week. This isn't something that if you have one conversation, you read one book, you listen to one sermon, that it said it and forget it for the rest of your life. Yeah. It'd be an ongoing part of how we think. And so it's just an ongoing conversation. So you'll get an email every Friday. Today, we launched an email called, Why Should I Give When God Doesn't Need My Money? I read that one. Yes. Three-minute interview with a world-class uh, Bible teacher slash mathematician from Oxford named John Lennox, answering that exact question, Why Should I Give When God Doesn't Need My Money? So these are the kinds of things that we love to share. Try to make it all free. We have a team of patrons who've been generous to us. So this isn't a a pitch for money. This is a pitch for we want to give vision. I've gone on a really long journey to try to grasp some of these things. And man, I just love to give it away and help people accelerate their own journeys. John, thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the work that you're doing. 
This is awesome. And that's what this whole podcast is about. This is a personal journey that Brent and I are going on ourselves and excited for anybody that wants to join us on this journey. So that totally aligns. Like I hear what you're saying. Like it's about constantly being engaged in the conversation. So thank you for the resources that you're sending out to us and the rest of the people that subscribe to be able to keep a conversation in the forefront of our minds. Glad to be on the journey with you guys. Thanks for having me on today. Thank you. We wanted to offer up something special for our listeners. For everybody that leaves us a review on Apple Podcasts or any of the other channels that we're on, we want to send you a gift. We want to send you a copy of John's book, Gospel Patrons. So if you just leave us a a review on, again, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, send us an email at story at thegivingexperience.org just to let us know that you did it and then just give us your address and we're going to ship you a copy of the book. Wow. Thanks, guys. That's really cool. Never had that happen before. Absolutely. We're just so excited about the work you're doing. So as always, if you've enjoyed the conversation, subscribe so you don't miss the next one. And if you're willing, leave us a review. We appreciate it. We want your stories. Do you have one to share or someone else's that needs to be shared? Leave us a comment below and email us at story at thegivingexperience.org and join our Facebook page too because there we keep you informed of upcoming episodes and ongoing conversations that we want to involve you in. And remember, give cheerfully and expect a miracle because one is on its way.